0: church glad you're here today we're going to be reading out of James chapter 3 if you want to turn there verse uh, 13 through 18 is where we'll be Uh, I did want to say thank you to everyone Uh, trunk or treat was a a big success like a wasn't really trunk or treat it was setter treat right that's what we changed the name to uh, since it was inside this year Uh, but it was it was really good Uh, and there was a lot of different people that put a lot of different work into it and so thank you uh, for helping get that squared away and making it work so uh, I'm glad we are able to do that. Um, Over the last few weeks Frank has spent some time talking about the peace of God the, the peace that we can get from God in troubling times and the truth is we're not short of troubled times are we? in um, the times in which we live in, they, are, they can seem troubling. Uh, not just on a large scale and what we see taking place in the world, but that large scale stuff impacts the small world stuff, our world stuff. Uh, and our lives at times can seem to be without peace. Uh, but as Frank has reminded us, it's in those times where we trust God, where peace is possible. Uh, and as the scripture talks about, at times it's a peace that really does and truly does pass all understanding. Um, And so as Frank had been speaking about these things, my mind kept coming back to this verse in James, uh, and so that's what I was thinking about this week. We're gonna read in a minute, James uses words as peace, such as peace, wisdom, righteousness, gentleness, humility. These things stir up something that we long for, we want them in our lives especially when our lives seem to have an absence of peace. We want that in our life. Um, because as people of God, we have the, and when we have experienced the peace of God, we're called also to be people of peace. The peace of God is not just something that we long for. It is also something that we can know. But this peace that God has provided to us through Jesus, and we'll mention more about that in a minute, but that peace we are also called to participate in and bring about the peace of God to those around us. James uses the language of cultivating peace. So we we sow peace, so we're like a farmer cultivating peace in the relationships and the places that we find ourselves in. In the context of the letter, James is actually writing to a church that is dealing with some very difficult situations. Um, And so, uh, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you've encountered various trials is how he begins the letter. The the, the church is dealing with some difficulty. They're dealing with some hard situations. Um, and, And he's not only saying that wisdom is possible and that God is the giver of wisdom and we can come to him and ask for that wisdom. But he's also dealing with the, the inner tor- turmoil and, and contention that existed in the church. And let's be honest, those moments in our life where we, we, um, we are experiencing something difficult, it really doesn't lend itself to having peace. And a lot of times that's expressed in our relationships with each other. But as James talks about the true wisdom, the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God, does produce peace. Um, I I, I think at times we we look at that, and at first reading we might be tempted to say, what in the world does peace have to do with wisdom, or how are they related? But as we're gonna see, they are related. And so, just kinda a question to kinda help our minds start thinking about some of these things. How would our church community our families, our places of work, our cities, look if we were actively cultivating peace in them. In a time where it seems that peace is absent, what would it look like when God's people are cultivating and sowing peace? And so let's, let's uh, take a look at James chapter 3 verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There is disorder of every evil thing, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And then here it seems like James almost just adds this at the end as a little extra, but we're going to see they're connected. And he says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for your scripture, and I pray that as we go through today and we look into it, uh, that our hearts and our minds will be moved to your truths about wisdom and peace that we can find in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter three is like this long section, and I, I, would, I would challenge you this week. If you get a chance, James is a short book. You know, it's five chapters. You can read through it pretty quick. Uh, But at least read chapter 2 3 and 4 and you're really kind of getting the the full force of what he's trying to say here But in chapter 3, he spends a lot of time talking about wisdom and the way that we use our words Um, (laughs) I Don't always use my words in the wisest way Um, And and my family can attest to that right those that closest can attest to those things but he, he spends some time talking about our words. They have weight. They, they have force behind them, the way that we use them. Um, and then he concludes that section by talking about wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And he's comparing two types of wisdom. Wisdom from above is wisdom from God. It builds up a community or builds up a family or builds up those around us where wisdom from below is an imposter wisdom. It has appearance of wisdom, but in all reality, it's missing something. It's not true wisdom, or wisdom from above. It's earthly, it's natural, and he even uses the phrase demonic. And and what we're gonna begin to see as he begins to describe these two types of wisdom, why he describes it in those ways. It's an inferior wisdom compared to the wisdom of God. So the question is, how do we know the difference between the two, right? How do we know the difference between the two types of wisdom that James is talking about? And you remember Jesus, when he's teaching, he's talking about a tree is known by its fruit. In the same way, the types of wisdom are known by their qualities, what the qualities and the fruit that they possess. So let's, let's make a list. And I, I apologize, I man, to put this in your bulletin this week. Uh, but if you get a chance this week, just write wisdom from below and start making notes of all the things that James says and then wisdom from above and just start making a list of all the things that he says and we're gonna, you can contrast them and you're going to see that they are vastly different, very different. So let's start with wisdom from below or this inferior kind of wisdom. First thing that James mentions is that it's bitter, there's bitter jealousy involved with it. It's that resentfulness of something that belongs to another. It's envy that leads, and I'm sorry, it leads to bedlam. (laughs) That bitter jealousy, it's misguided zeal. Bitter jealousy is seeking what is best for yourself at the expense of someone else. James also describes this inferior worldly wisdom as selfish ambition in your heart. The heart is that seed of not only our our emotions and our thoughts, uh, but all of life comes from it, as Jesus talks about. But the selfish ambition of the heart is placing ourselves at the center where all of a sudden the world revolves around us. And so he says this worldly wisdom, this wisdom from below, is full of selfish ambition. He goes on, he says that it's arrogant by lying against the truth. It's boasting and making ourselves something that we're not. Another translation reads it this way, do not boast or hide the truth with lies. And then he he finally concludes and he says, the result of this worldly wisdom, this wisdom from below, is that it, it leads to disorder and every evil thing. Um, we don't have to we could sit around and talk a little bit about how in churches and remember James is writing to a church community here but how maybe this lesser wisdom or this worldly wisdom has lead to the destruction of churches and sad story but it's also led to the destruction of families and other communities in which we find ourselves in and so this worldly or this less wisdom it is leads to disorder and every evil thing so that's the list we don't want, right? That's it. If we're comparing these two lists, we don't want anything, and nothing seems pleasing about that list at all. And then he says, the wisdom from above. And he starts with the first verse there in 13, that let him show his good behavior and his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. And so the wisdom from above, there's a certain amount of gentleness. Some of your translations might read humility or meekness. Um, this wasn't necessarily a virtue for the Greeks. They would have saw this not as necessarily something to achieve. But in in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that this humility is something that we are to pursue and long for. It's understanding who we are in relation to God. So it's making sure that we've got this right relationship between us and God uh, the Old Testament speaks of it in terms as the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord or it's, it's being in right relationship with God, knowing who God is and knowing who we are. But this gentleness of wisdom not only is in between us or this humility of wisdom is not only between us and God, but it extends across our relationships to other people. He goes on and says that the wisdom above is also pure. It's first of all pure. Pure. So it's like this umbrella, this, this purity, not only moral purity that like represents a spotless without blemish, but pure is the umbrella that, that covers over all these other attributes of what wisdom is. But it's pure not only in a moral sense, but also pure in our loyalty and allegiance to God. It's also pure in the sense that our motives and our relationships with each other are right. He goes on to say that that kind of wisdom, the wisdom from above, is peaceable, meaning that it's not combative. And the ways of wisdom are ways that are pleasant and all her paths are peace, as Solomon says in Proverbs. It's also gentle. It's kind or merciful. It's considerate. It's lenient, not holding to a standard that, not holding someone to a standard that is unattainable. It is also reasonable, meaning that it's open to reason or it's easily persuadable. And we're not talking about things like moral issues and that you're open to changing your mind on some moral issues or some deep truths of God. That's not what James is talking about. But he's talking about those things that we might call preferences or different practices that we're open to reason. We're able to listen to someone and understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. And you know what? They may be right. And we change our mind. There's an openness to wisdom from above. It's also full of mercy and good fruits. Um, it, It is compassion towards someone who has offended you. And he goes on and says that it is unwavering or as some translations will read, it's impartial, it's not divisive. And one of the scenarios that was going on in the church there where James is, is addressing is that there was favoritism that was beginning to be shown to the rich who were coming into the congregation over the poor. And so the rich were being given places of, of favor. They're set, they get the best seat, Right? I would say that in our congregation, the best seat's in the back, right? That's, that's where I want to sit, in the back. Um, but it was like coming into the congregation and, the, and then the, the, because of the way they were dressed and the wealth that was present, placing them in the seat of importance. And James is telling them that that's not wisdom from above because wisdom from above is not divisive, it's impartial. He goes on and he says that it's also without hypocrisy. That the wisdom from above is sincere and it's not pretending, it's not two-faced, it doesn't speak out of both sides of the mouth. And so when we look at this list and we think, man, I, I definitely want that kind of wisdom in my life. I don't want the other kind of wisdom. I don't want the lesser kind of wisdom or the lower kind of wisdom. But this is the wisdom that leads to peace. And we go through that list and we can see, okay, I I can understand the connection now between wisdom of God and now how we can actually begin to make peace. And it doesn't seem like something that James just threw in at the last. Because of the wisdom of God, the wisdom that comes from above, that is peaceable, uh, that is is pure, that is gentle, that is reasonable, full of mercy, I can see why James says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from above, or wisdom from God, lean or leads itself to peace in our relationships with each other. In chapter four, James goes on to ask another question, just like he did at the, right, at the first verse that we said. Uh, he said, Who among you is wise and understanding? In chapter 4, he asks another question, and he knows it's not a question to get a response uh, verbally from, from the congregation, but to stop and cause them to think, and he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? See, in the scriptures, peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but it carries the idea of completeness or wholeness. And Jesus tells us that blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. But in the pursuit of peace, and I think this is where we get it wrong sometimes, righteousness and purity should not be compromised just to keep the peace. Making peace is hard work that involves us stepping into the pain and the suffering and the heartache of other people. And it's not easy. And it is hard work. It's a hunger to seek the well-being of the other person, but it does not compromise, and it builds up. So the fruit of righteousness that James talks about, it cannot be produced any other way than through peace. It's not going to be achieved through anger. It can only be achieved through peace and what is pleasing to God. Um so let's let's look a little bit he, so james compares worldly wisdom earthly wisdom or wisdom from below so let's let's kind of see how this plays out in the culture in which we live so culturally speaking words like wisdom and peace they carry a lot of baggage to them wisdom from below gives off the appearance of wisdom of, as being from above. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's deceptive. It promotes, but the difference is that it promotes self over, over others. The wisdom of worldliness can creep into all parts of our life, it can be deceptive. We can think that it seems wise. Paige Brown, uh, I was reading this week, and she laid it out really well. And she talks about the wisdom of worldliness can creep into our lives, and it can be in very subtle ways. And she says it can be in the way that we think or our logic, our longings, the things that we long for, and also our loyalties. And so the the wisdom of the world is deceptive. It does seem at times to present itself as wisdom, as something right or something good. Often in our cultural context, wisdom is considered the equivalent of knowledge. And we think that someone has knowledge that automatically places them on the level of wisdom. Uh, but that's not the case. How many, uh, how many of you, when you're asked a question, maybe it's a song or a movie or a reference or a date or whatever, you're, and you don't know or you can't think of it, you say, let's Google it. Yeah, yeah I do that. Yeah, That's an that's example of knowledge. I've, I've got all the knowledge I want at my fingertips. Endless knowledge. But often that only leads to empty knowledge. Knowledge that doesn't actually translate itself into the day-to-day life. And so we might be tempted to think that knowledge is the equivalent of wisdom and it's not. Uh, that's, that's not the, the same as wisdom. I think culturally also, um, I wonder if we have come to confuse the loudest voices with the wisest voices. We're tempted to label someone as a modern-day sage based on the number of likes, the number of shares they have received, without looking at the true qualities and the fruit of what they are actually saying. And so a lot of times, the squeaky wheel gets the grease in this way. We think that wisdom is in the loudest voices among us. And that's not always the case. We often also think that cynicism is a form of wisdom, right? Uh, so we see the problems or the, the, the lack of uh, hope or whatever it is in our world around us, and then we might respond in a cynical way, which is, is, which is my go-to, cynicism. And that might seem like the wise thing to do, but it's not, because it doesn't lead to a building up, but it leads to a destroying of things. It's just a, it's just a fancy way of complaining is all. But wisdom from above looks and acts differently. Wisdom is the skill to live well in the world that God has created. It kind of comes in two parts, and I mentioned one of them already, but it's acknowledging who God is. In the Old Testament, we see this in the form of fearing the Lord or having reverence for God and who he is. The other part is is the art of knowing how to live well and, and in turn living well. It's knowing and doing. And so when we're talking about true wisdom, it's not going to be found in these other things, in the loudest voices, in cynicism, or just in knowledge. But true wisdom is being in right relationship with God and knowing and doing what needs to be done. So the challenge is not to be fooled by this inferior wisdom. This, this less-than wisdom, this worldly wisdom. True wisdom is found in God and seeks the good of other person and seeks to make peace by doing what is right. Peace is also a word that carries a lot of cultural baggage, just like wisdom. Peace, often in our culture, is, is not necessarily a goal to reach, but it's a sign of compromise. Politically, it's a zero-sum game where no one wins unless my team wins. It is believed that peace can only be possible by forcing our rights over the rights of others. And so culturally, we see that an understanding of peace is not even anywhere close to a biblical understanding of peace. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and they were comparing the activism that took place in the civil rights movement that was that was formed and shaped and informed by Jesus' teaching and the activism we see both on the right and the left left extremes nowadays. And it's it's not a seeking of peace, but it's a seeking of violence to make the change that they want to see in the world. So when we're talking about peace and kind of this cultural, worldly understanding of it, we can see that it's vastly different to the peace that we're exposed to and talked about in the scriptures. Biblically speaking, peace in our relationships with each other is because, possible because of what Jesus has done. Because of, as Rob read, the blood of his cross, he's reconciled and made peace with all things. Because that is possible now, we can be in right relationship with, with God and, 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 and ourself. And, and we've talked about this before, this, this thing, when we get this vertical relationship with God right, when we're living at peace with God, then it's possible that we can live in peace with these horizontal relationships with each other. And so when we talk about a biblical understanding of peace, it is based in Jesus and what he has done. It is the peace that comes from God. Wisdom and peace—they come together in Jesus on the cross. We see the wisdom of God in that He'd send His Son to make it right, right? And we see peace that flows from that. And so let's let's spend just a little bit, and then we'll be done. But let's spend a little bit talking about how we begin to live this out, and how this how this would play out in our own lives. I think the first thing is that we seek true wisdom in in humility. And so he says at the beginning, who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior in the deeds of humility or gentleness of wisdom. And so we need to seek true wisdom from God in humility. Pride will always keep us from seeing wisdom from above. And I know I've shared this quote with you before, but I think it's pretty fitting for today. Comes from C.S. Lewis, and he says, As long as you are proud, you can't know God. A proud man is always looking down on the things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So when we have pride, when there's a lack of humility in our lives, it is not going to lead to wisdom. If wisdom flows from God, how can it if we're always looking down? So to receive the wisdom from above, we must practice humility. Second thing, the result of wisdom is is shown by cultivating peace. Again, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. It's interesting the metaphor James chooses to use here. He doesn't use a war image of making peace, and often we might be tempted to think that that's the only way to peace, is to to go about it through waging war. But James uses the idea of cultivating. He uses the idea of a farmer. We are to sow peace, we are to cultivate it, we are to make peace. So the result of true wisdom is shown when we cultivate or when we sow peace. In Isaiah, the prophet writes, he says, and then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the field a fertile field and the work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness is quietness and confidence forever the two go together righteousness and peace so where does that leave us what do we do all right what what's kind of our takeaways a couple things we can pray that God would reveal in us any kind of bitter jealousy, desire to put ourselves first, arrogance, and deceitfulness. We can ask that God would reveal those things in us. James starts in chapter 1, and he tells the churches, therefore, putting all aside, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word planted which will save your souls. So we turn to the scriptures and we ask God to reveal in us selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, the things that don't make for peace, the things that aren't true wisdom from above. And secondly, this is something I think maybe that we can take home with us uh, today. So maybe it's just you grab a piece of paper or you grab your worship folder. You got, you know, a little room for your notes on your worship folder And maybe it's take that home and reflect on wisdom and your behaviors and make your own list. Am I practicing wisdom from above? Am I practicing wisdom from below? And self-evaluate like James called the church to do. That was the the point of his question. It wasn't because he expected an answer. He asked the question, who among you is wise and understanding? And the reason he asked the question, because they weren't, one, and two, he wanted them to stop and think long enough about their actions, their behaviors. Was it wise? Was it unwise? And so maybe it's we do a little self-evaluation. God, where am I this week? And so I, w- I want to close with this, this is, as uh, they come and prepare the music. This is Barkley, his, his commentary on James. And I thought it was well said. He says... We are all trying to reap the fruit and the reward and the results which the good life brings. But the seeds which bring the rich harvest can never flourish in any other atmosphere than the atmosphere of right relationships between each other. Right relationships are the soil in which the reward of righteousness alone can grow. Without right relationships between each other, righteousness can't exist and all striving for righteousness is rendered ineffective and without reward. And so, church, let us be people that seek the wisdom of God that leads to peace. Let us cultivate peace in the relationships, and the places we find ourselves in, our families, our church family, our work, the strangers that we meet on the street. Because the true wisdom of God and the peace that flows from it is something that our world needs, something that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. I'm grateful for your love and your mercy and and your scripture and how it reveals uh, to us uh, your desire not only for us, but the the good gifts that you have given us uh, that come from you, that come from above, as James talks about. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be wise, that we we would seek wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. And help us to be makers of peace, sowing peace or cultivating it where we find ourselves. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you to stand as they prepare to sing one verse of invitation. And maybe it's just you want to pray where you are that this week that you would spend time sowing peace in the areas of life you find yourself. Maybe it's that we, you want to ask God for wisdom because he gives it. He gives it freely. As they sing. In five twenty-four, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness.